Welcome to the Wellness Pie Shop, where each episode we delve into a different slice of wellness in hopes of nourishing ourselves. With the help of special guests and a little of our own irreverent insight, we'll dive into some of the ingredients that make up the whole of Wellness Pie. We're your hosts, Dina Searden. And I'm Rachel Piaz. Thanks for joining us. Now grab a cup of tea, sit back and relax, and enjoy a piece of Wellness Pie. Welcome to the latest episode of the Wellness Pie Shop. On today's show, we're going to have a dear old friend of mine, Jasper Kump, joining us. And Rachel, I think you're really going to enjoy him. He's very wise, very funny, and I think he's going to offer us a lot of insight. Jasper, I was trying to, Rachel said to me before you got on, she's like, so tell me about Jasper. Who is this guy? And I said, well, gosh, um, let me think. 25 years ago when I was in graduate school... (laughs) Yeah. A lot has happened since then. Yes. So how about you tell us? Yeah. Why don't you tell me about yourself, Jasper? Oh my God. Uh, Well, I mean, how far back do you want me to go? As far as you're willing to take (laughs) us. Oh my gosh. Well, how about we ask, um, how about the question that we ask our guests is tell us how you came to this place that you are right now. Oh, Okay, um, so um, it is and a not long, by you, Hall. It's a long story, <laughs> but yeah. So I, um, so I think it's germane to say that I grew up in a pretty conservative military um, family with a very strong faith, um, and that um, sort of informs a lot about who I am <laughs> to this day. Um, I think um, I when I educationally I went for my bachelor's I studied German Russian and Romance languages in undergrad at Cal State Long Beach um, mostly because I had lived in Germany uh, my dad was stationed over there so I went to all of junior high and high school in Germany um, and I had learned that there and uh, I wanted to sort of continue that so I did that and um, um, I sort of I was one of these people that like had some stuff come up in life and so I didn't quite go all the way through with my bachelor's degree all at one time. So uh, I, um, I uh, ended up working part-time or full-time and then um, going to school part-time. Um, and um, I did that living in Orange County. At the time, I was living in Orange County and, and, tele- and commuting to Long Beach for school. And I worked in the biotech industry, um, medical device industry in Orange County for, for several years um, and was living um, near Laguna Beach at, at one point. And um, when I was in that job, I was doing really well in my career. I very slowly over, I think it was like a 10 or 11 year period, I finished my bachelor's degree, um, which I didn't think was that important. But for some reason, the day I got my bachelor's degree, I was thrilled. It was such an amazing moment for me. I poo-pooed it for the longest time. And even while I was doing it, I just was like, why am I doing this? That's never really is going to matter. But when I did it, I was really, I was really grateful and pleased for that. Um, And the entire time I'd been working in, in the medical device industry, I had really thought, what do I really want to do? Like I was approaching 35. Um, I know I, uh, um, you know, it, I'm, I'm really only, I don't know how I could have been 35 then and I'm only 39 now, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but around that time, I was really like, what am I doing? Like I'm, I'm, I'm loving my work um, in the business world, but I wasn't 
really that fulfilled. And so I was sort of at a crossroads. And this is a time actually when I met Dina, I, I knew Dina because she was finishing her um, her social work program and was working in a, a coffee house that I frequented it and actually sang at because I love to sing and, and perform. And I was really like torn about what I wanted to do. And I, at that point in time, had sort of thought about, um, I had two opportunities. I had the opportunity to pursue music full time and to really try uh, to make it, I'm making air quotes with that, um, doing what I love with music because I've been doing musical theater and writing original music and stuff. Or I wanted to go back and, uh, and study social worker psychology. Um, and so I had, uh, I had an opportunity to go to New York um, and to record an album and um, work with some people that had worked with like Sinatra and other jazz folks. And so um, I figured I wasn't getting any younger. And if I, didn't, if I didn't pursue the New York thing, I would probably regret it. And so I did that. I basically left my career of 15 years in the medical device industry, sold everything I had, and I moved into a studio apartment in New York City um, <laughs> and uh, started my five, what was a five-year adventure in New York, which is, I could talk an entire couple of hours just about that alone, but um, <laughs> But uh, I was in New York for five years and I did, uh, I worked full time and also did, did a lot of music stuff and, and had some success, but, um, but I wasn't able to make a living doing my music and um, I was getting a little frustrated with that and I missed California and so I applied to graduate school and moved back to California. And I uh, ended up going, uh, I, I moved to San Diego actually, um, and um, and had applied to several different schools and ended up getting into uh, USC. And I went to their, um, they had an academic center in San Diego. So I did my um, MSW training with them and in, in the San Diego community. Um, and really, I just loved it. I, I love learning. I love being in school. And, um, and I was thrilled with the idea of doing something for me that had more meaning. Um, I had, you know, it was, it was a it was an opportunity to really give back and to, to help others uh, in the way that I had been helped. And honestly, Dina, you're part of the reason why I chose the LCSW route um, because I had... if I could do it, then you could do it too. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, I picked it because not only had I seen you and others um, like you pursue that path, but also I had benefited from um, being a client of licensed clinical social workers. And, uh, and I was, I was really thrilled about that. So, so um, I did that. Um, and um, I loved, loved learning and loved my clinical practicum. And then um, upon graduation, um, I needed a job. And, um, and so I applied all over the state of California and ended up getting a job here in Los Angeles. Uh, and so I worked for um, a little about almost four and a half years uh, for an agency that provides services to people experiencing homelessness and in particular homeless veterans and um, learned so much and grew so much and did that and then um, um, and then about three almost three and a half years ago I started working for a large um, state uh, medical system in Los Angeles and doing um, uh, do, providing care for primary care patients that have um, complicated medical concerns and uh, biopsychosocial concerns, um, and particularly, you know, primary care, really supporting primary care patients that have high risk comorbidities or, or concerns. So that, that's what I do now. I also see uh, clients in private practice. Um, I have a small 
part-time private practice, um, which I also really enjoy. I, I, it's nice to be able to do um, the health system work and do some private practice work, which I really enjoy. Um, and so that's, that's how I found myself here. But I realize after saying that that's mostly career focused, but, <laughs> but uh, that's a big part of why I'm here and where I'm at now. I hope that answers your question. It absolutely does. And don't worry, we'll uh, get to the other ways on how you got to where you are today as well, talking <laughs> about your values. And I'm really interested to kind of dig into um, those developmental years that you spent in another country and how that impacted your growth, both in your value system and, and how that played a role in determining your life here in the States. Um, but I think, you know, to get to the, the nitty gritty of things, I'm really interested to know, you know, our question that we ask our guests is what are you, what are your values? That's a great question. And, and I, I really, I don't know, I have a, um, initially I, I was like, what the heck are my values? Like, <laughs> what, what does matter to me? Um, so I did what any what anyone does, I went on the Google machine and I said, what are my values? And so I actually went to a website and filled out this life values questionnaire. <laughs> Didn't Which happen I, to be authentichappiness.com, did it? It wasn't, although now I'm going to have oh. to look that one up. Um, I actually went to, I think, let me see, what is it called? Because I, I have a little report here that I'm reminding myself of. It's lifevaluesinventory.org is where I went. But it was a, just an easy way to sort of use a tool. And it was helpful because it, it put things into buckets and categories that I might not have used before. But I think it's pretty accurate. Um, you, know, having, you know, having grown up in the military all you know, 18 years of my um, early life, you know, we moved every two to three years. Um, and uh, that's pretty standard for, for military families. Um, and I literally lived all over the world. I went to junior high and high school in Germany, uh, two different places. And I went to kindergarten and first grade in the Philippines. Um, and I think I went to something like 10 or 11 schools total in the 12 years of uh, primary and secondary education. Um, and I, I, I like to say that in so many wonderful ways, I loved that life. Um, it was incredibly exciting and adventurous. Um, I, I grew to really love and value um, just worldwide cultures and differences and language and foods. And it really gave me uh, a sense of adventure um, and um, appreciation for things different than me. Um, and um, and at the same time, it is not without its challenges. Um, and I think um, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I've experienced growing up and even into my adult life today is it's, it's difficult um, to develop long-standing relationships because when you grow up and you move every two to three years, what you realize is that I may only move every two to three years, but the people around me are also moving on two to three year cycles. So I might know you for a year and you're going to be gone. Um, you know, I remember um, my best friend, uh, Brian Brown, when I was in the fourth grade, we were living in Indiana at Fort Benjamin Harrison. He lived across the street and literally um, we, we just were inseparable. And I came home from visiting my grandma one summer and he had, he was gone. 
I didn't even realize he was moving and he was gone. And, you know, with a name like Brian Brown, I'm never going to find him again. You know, maybe he'll listen to the podcast and say, shout out to Brian Brown. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But that, you know, that's kind of how it is. So there's, you know, so we don't, we didn't really do a good job of learning how to say goodbye or learning how to process what was happening with those things. And so it makes, you know, it makes it difficult sometimes to build those relationships. Now, once I got into high school, I was in, I lived in Berlin when I was in high school and I was able to spend my sophomore four through senior year at Berlin American High School at the time. I was so fortunate to have a group of friends there um, that I had, that I really bonded with and I am still connected with today. So um, from that point, you know, I, I, I was able to sort of keep lasting relationships, but we were, sc- we're scattered across the planet, you know, <laughs> we're all in different places. But, um, but you know, growing up in the military and, and growing up in the church, um, one of the things that came up in the values profile that's very high for me is this idea of responsibility. Um, and so, you know, wh- you know, my, you know, my father uh, was a, is a military officer retired and, um, you know, we, we had discipline in the home. We had very clear values, um, both from, from the military and from, from our faith community. And for example, I mean, I joke about it to this day, like being on time is very important to me. Um, you know, and so if you're on, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. Like, <laughs> and you know, it's so funny. When I went to graduate school, there were a lot of folks that are military or former military that went to grad school with me, and I literally would be in class 15, 20 minutes early, and I'd be surrounded by all these other military folks. And I was so, I would. It wasn't until then that I realized, oh, that's why <laughs> I'm ridiculously early, or at least on time to most anything. So. It's definitely, so that, that's definitely part of it. Uh, I'd say responsibility, following up and being, um, being a man of my word, uh, making sure that when I say I'm going to do something, I do it um, and that I do my best. I think that's, that's really important. I think um, knowing um, that I can be relied on, I think is one of my values for sure. I think you said something there too, that was really key is doing your best. Cause it's one thing to be on time. And it's one thing to show up and be of your word, but if the effort behind it is not your best, then, then I think you're doing a disservice almost. And so I think that what you said there is being, um, not just being responsible, but making sure that when you are, you're doing it to the best of your ability. Um, and I think that that's a, something that people miss a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think another thing too that was that was uh, important for me is is really um, showing up for others in a meaningful way, and whether that be through my work or whether that be in my friend world or my family, um, that's also really important to me. Those relationships matter. I think it's one of the reasons why I was so drawn to social work, is just knowing how you know how we are intrinsically connected to one another and how connection is. I love how I love the work of Brene Brown and her, you know, this whole concept that we are wired for connection, right? Um, and that how important that is. Um, and trying to find ways to to um, to show up for others and and to build community where I can. I think what I, what struck me is also when you were saying that you started out by saying being in the military and being part of the church really instilled this sense of responsibility. And I'm always curious about how childhood values then 
develop into adult values. If it shifts, if it becomes part of who you are, and it sounds like for you, there are uh, pieces of what was instilled in you at a young age that still is carried with you. And I just find that to be very interesting, what I know about you. Uh, <laughs> you're certainly not the same person as your father and your mother. Correct. Yeah. The same people. And um, yet this, what you learned as a youngster is still part of your core, it sounds like. Yeah. And, and it has been, it's, it's, you know, I appreciate you bringing that up because it is, you know, it is this idea of the middle path, right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not all my, the way that my parents are. I'm not completely different than them. And it's sort of this, and I have had to learn <laughs> and I'm still actively working on learning how to be in that middle path, that middle space between those extremes. And so the, the example that you use, which I think is really powerful, is that, yes, there are many things that that uh, uh, have carried through to who I am today that are part of how I was raised. And there are parts of that that I have let go of and, and or that I have a very different perspective on. Um, you know, I came when I, uh, in my early 20s, um, I came out. Uh, as a gay man, and uh, this was very difficult because I was not only um, coming from where I've come from, but I was also very active in the conservative church. I was singing and leading worship uh, in church and very much a part of that community. And so, you know, coming out and 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 sort of owning who I was um, as a gay man was problematic because it meant losing a lot of the community that I, I so cherished. And, and, and still to this day, I think I, I, uh, I still deal with some of the grief related to, in particular, that piece of being involved in helping other people worship and singing and sharing that. Because to me, music is such a powerful um, and spiritual thing. Um, and whether it's, whether it's faith-based music or not, um, it's, it's, I think it's really important. And so there was a point at, where I, at which I had to say, yeah, you know what? I don't believe this. Um, I don't believe that. Um, this is who I know I am. And, you know, I remember when I came out to my parents in particular, I did it in, the, in, in a therapy session. I, you know, I basically said there are two truths that coexist in my life. Um, one is that I was created by God in, in God's image. Um, and two is that I am gay. And that those two truths must certainly be able to coexist in God's world or they wouldn't be the way that they are. Um, and that was the, the simplest way I could, for myself at that time, break it down um, and, you know, I, my spirituality has involved, evolved a lot over time. Uh, I still think I have a, I think I will always have sort of a Christian worldview, just because that's kind of what I was raised with. But, um, but, but I've also, it's also been quite broadened by other faith experiences from other communities that I have learned from and I appreciate and enjoy a lot. I don't know if that was getting at what you, part of no, what that, you were No, that's, that's a very beautiful explanation of the turmoil that you went through when shifting away from the parental values and your childhood values into finding how those fit for you mm. as, a, as an adult person. Yeah, I was going to say, you're kind of like a perfect guest to help our listeners 
really think about what influences your values, because I think coming from, you know, you mentioned one of your values being the sense of community and, and being of service and giving back and coming from moving around all the time and, and your friends always leaving and this sense of um, community that you had in the military and you had in the church, but this lack of community that you had within your own social settings. And then you kind of talk a lot about how that, that influenced what is such a value to you now. And I think that that's great for our listeners to hear same with, you know, being able to come out and coming from your background as well. It's what you took from what your upbringing was and how you, what we ask our guests is, you know, do you think values change? And what I hear you saying is they didn't change for you. You were able to identify them for what they mean to you as you grow up and as you grew into who you wanted to be in this world. Um, and I think that's just such a great um thing for our listeners to hear because I think it's hard coming from the background that you did and then having to one come out and that being not a normal thing both in the military as well as in your faith and saying that these are the two truths that I live and these are my values that I'm taking with me and these are how I'm going to live them myself and that's a really hard thing to do and I'm just really honored to kind of listen to this conversation and be a part of it because I think it's it's what you did is really hard. I, I agree. And I, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because I know you've, we've talked about one value thus far, <laughs> and I'm sure you've identified a few more. But I also wonder, because we're here, what was that struggle like for you? How did you come to the place that you were able to say, okay, there are two truths. And one is that I am of God and two, that I am a gay man. Well, it was, it was really hard. And, and, um, and I have to be honest, like it was complicated um, beyond that because I'm also a survivor of early childhood sexual trauma. And, um, and it was pretty significant in my life. And at the time, it really muddied the waters. It really made it difficult for me to see, is this because I was abused that I'm attracted to men? Is it because I'm sinful? You know, so there was that added element to it as well. And I was very complex. Yeah. And I was very fortunate that, uh, you know, and this was in my early college days. Um, This might explain why it took me quite a while to finish my bachelor's degree. I had some extracurricular studying to do um, and therapy to do, but, but it, I was fortunate that I was able to, because I, I turned to, to alcohol in particular, um, to, to cope in early college and was very grateful to have gotten sober at 19 um, and to have begun therapy um, around that same time and really dug into that work. And it's because of that work and because of the support communities that I was able to find around me um, that I was able to sort of navigate that. But it took a while. It took, I mean, I mean, as you you probably can imagine, a lot of soul searching, a lot of writing, a lot of talking, a lot of, you know, um, therapy, a lot of meetings, um, a lot of reading, you know, understanding kind of what was happening for me. Um, and, you know, dealing with a lot of the, even the denial, like, you know, getting through like, you know, you, you, your lived experience is your lived experience. It's what's normal to you until you realize this, 
there's something wrong. And then someone thankfully outside of you can say, wait a minute, like that doesn't happen to everybody. Like that's not supposed to happen. Um, and so that was, that was really important for me to find it as well. But, you know, using all of those different resources and, and getting the support that I've gotten from multiple different sources in the community was, was key for me able to get to that point. But, I, that, but getting to that point where I could say that because um, my first crush was Brian Brown, who happened to be my best friend. I didn't know that's what it was in the fourth grade. Uh, it because I wasn't really a sexual person. I just knew that I was crazy about him. Um, and, but later as time went on, I started to realize, oh, wait, that, that was a crush. Like, that's what that was. And then, you know, um, trying to find my way to that uh, from, from there to where I was able to sort of speak my truth um, and find that truth was tough. I mean, I was dating a woman for, um, for four years that was in the church who I, dearly loved and still love to this day. Um, and, um, and I remember when I, and she knew six months into our relationship, my story and kind of what was going on and what was I, I was working on in therapy. And, um, and I remember the, the day that I broke up with her finally, after I decided that I was going to come out and I cried way harder than she did, <laughs> at least in that particular moment. And I still, you know, I still am sad about that, you know, because um, that love is and was real. Um, and, uh, and, 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 but finding my way to that space was, was, was a process for sure. I think it, um, speaks on your first value, which is responsibility. And I think that journey to me, it sounds like was you saying, this is my responsibility to myself to figure this out. And I think that it's so clear that that value is important to you. If that's, if your journey led you to that, your journey was whether you knew it or not, and whether I'm just, you know, throwing rocks is you said, this is really important to me to figure this out. So important to me that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to show up for myself to the best of my ability. And which is what you said a while ago is one of your values is responsibility, showing up for yourself, being, you know, there and being able to account on you. And um, it just sounds like that was something that you did for yourself. Um, well, and, and, you know, I mean, that sounds really beautiful and I love hearing it that way. And, <laughs> but, and it was survival. Like yeah. I, it was dark and there were times where I didn't think I could go on anymore. And, and so I really had to do this work if I was going to survive, um, because it was that difficult for me. And, and I have to say, like, one of the things that one of my clinical supervisors, when I was training early on, um, said something that I always say uh, that I, that I take with me and that I always share with other people when I can is this idea that, you know, and this is true, whether you're a social worker or not, that our goal when, when coming alongside others to help support them for whatever reason is to hold hope for them when they have none is to point them to that hope that exists beyond what they can see right now. And that was what people did for me no matter where they were, no matter where they came from, um, they, um, they held that hope for me. And, and to this day, like I have my go-to peeps, you know, I'm on the phone with them, we're FaceTiming or whatever. And they'll be like, I know your head is telling you that Jasper, but I'm here to tell you that's not what I see. Um, and I, I think it's part of the reason why 
belonging and connection is so important, especially now, especially with everything that's going on in the world around us, you know, not just COVID, but, you know, all of the, the social challenges that we still have not dealt with. Um, being able to show that hope to each other is, I think, is key. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. I, um, I'm just sitting here in awe because I just, I just love to hear you talk and uh, you have such a wonderful perspective and you've matured a lot since. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. 1993. Sure. Yes. Um, oh my God. Yeah. You won't say what year that was for me. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> were you even born yet? That was the year I was born. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> I love it. I literally now just so that you know, I can't my official coming out with my parents was in uh, I think it was October of 91. So I was a baby gay when we met. (laughs) Wow. Well, you were I mean, I swung it. way up. Mm-hmm. I swung way up. (laughs) You know, the pendulum's gotta go both ways. Yeah, you had to make up for some lost time. For sure. For sure. Well, you can't come to the center unless you've been to both sides, right? It's true. It's true. And, you know, again, I, I just, it, it's so interesting to me and, you know, maybe it's not natural selection that we're choosing our guests, but each of our guests thus far, the theme that runs throughout is that idea of connectedness mm. and how important that is and how fortunate you were, how fortunate I was. And I think Rachel, for you too, that you had people in your life that you could turn to, that were able to support you, that you had the resilience to reach out when you were in need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for our listeners who may not feel like they have someone to reach out to, I think it would be helpful to sort of try to rethink, reframe where they are right now and allow that vulnerability to come out because I guarantee there's at least one person that they can identify in their lives that they could reach out to and would be a support. Mm-hmm. And I think that in your story, Jasper, that's completely true. You had to be vulnerable. You had to allow yourself, even after everything that you had been through, re- moving past the fear, mm-hmm. you were able to do that. And the courage that it took to reach out and to allow other people to support you, I think is, is so important. Yeah, no, it, it, it's key. And I think it's, I think it's so important to remember that we're not alone, you know, that even though we may be isolated, even though we may physically not be with other people, we are not alone. And our experience, you know, is, is ours, but it's not unique. <laughs> there right. are others that certainly have been in that path before. And, you know, it is not easy to, to reach out. I mean, to this day, like, I have a really hard time asking for help. You know, I've got to, you know, I'm, I've got to figure it out. There's got to be a way I can figure it out, you know, and, uh, and um, it's and so, you know, one of the things that I learned early on in my recovery was this idea of taking contrary action is to do something, even though I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and asking for help and reaching out, picking up that 100 pound phone uh, <laughs> can be difficult, you know, and in some ways, I think tech, in some ways, I think technology has helped us on that front, right? So you may not feel comfortable picking up the phone and saying, hey, I'm having a lousy day, but you may text someone and say, listen, I'm going through it. 
you know, right. which may lead to a phone call or not. Um, but I think texting, even though it's a little bit less intimate, I think for that reason can sometimes feel like a way that we can reach out that maybe is less. And I, that's one of the things that I've been so excited about is that a lot of these um, hotlines and support lines that exist uh, for you know all kinds of different populations often have a texting option. I know in LA, we have a, a, a hotline here through the Department of Mental Health where you can actually text for support, yeah. um, which is really fantastic. I think yeah. it's great too for um, my generation and the generation under me. I, I work with a lot of teenagers and they're not going to, they don't call me. That's not mm -hmm. their form of communication. They'll either yeah. DM me on Instagram or they'll right. send me a text message. And um, I'm a phone call person. I just, I live very distantly from a lot of my core groups. So I've always been a phone call person, but for my generation, we don't call people. And I think you touched on something that's, that's true is there's so much more opportunity for, I put this in quote, safety behind the phone. And you no longer have to, that, that in-person connection that my generation and the generation under me uh, fears a lot um, is eliminated with the text message. And so I think, um, yeah, it's, it's easier. And I shouldn't say easier because it's not easier to reach out for help, but it is more accessible um, to a variety of populations and age groups now with the texting app, the texting options, email options, all those mm -hmm. kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and I think something you said, I keep thinking about what your, um, I think it was your therapist that said it about hope and providing hope. And uh, when you can't see it, finding the people around you that are willing to show you where it lies. And I think what keeps playing in my head is this podcast and that I think something that both Dina and I with guests like you and our previous guests, I think what we're trying to do is when people are struggling to survive and when people are struggling to identify their values, because I think um, like Dina talked about in last week's podcast, sometimes a discord in your values could be the end of your survival. Um, and I think when we have these discussions and when we have guests like you, you are providing that sense of hope for people who are struggling to figure out where they are aligned with what they want to be aligned with. Um, and that I, there's really no end to that statement other than the fact that that's just something that keeps playing in my head is what you said and what this space is right now and what I'm hearing coming out of your mouth being a listener right now and also participating in this podcast, trying to do both is um, feeling that sense of hope. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, I really appreciate you saying that. And the other thing that made me think of that I think is kind of the same thing, but a twist is that those people that are listening to your podcast right now or whenever they're listening to it, um, they too have the opportunity to be those hope bearers mm -hmm. because when they share their vulnerability, they give permission to other people to do the same thing. Absolutely. And that's how so this true. works, you know? Yes. And so, so even if you're listening to this, like, Hey, guess what? You've been recruited. <laughs> <laughs> Join the because, club now. Right, yeah, because, yeah. Because your vulnerability gives other people the opportunity to be real too. Yeah, um, absolutely. Everybody's part of the pie. One yes. of my favorite things to say is like, just lead by example. You know, it's, it's as simple as just leading by example and having those vulnerable conversations to whatever degree you're willing to get vulnerable. I mean, 
being vulnerable, in my opinion, has a spectrum. And, and by saying I am feeling automatically is putting you in a more vulnerable conversation than saying I'm thinking. And um, so I think that that's, you know, this podcast is people leading by example and our listeners being given the opportunity to start changing the conversations that they have with the people around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's a beautiful thing. I also have to say that it was interesting to me, Jasper, that you went online and Googled, you know, values because <laughs> I kind of had to do the same thing. I didn't Google it, but it, it took me aback when that question was asked of me mm-hmm. and you're younger than I am, maybe barely, barely. <laughs> but you what know, are you talking about? You're both 39, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Thank you. Rachel. For how many more years? <laughs> For how many years have I been 30? Indefinitely, yes. Indefinitely, yes. Um, it's just curious uh, how unaware we might be of what our values are, how while we may not have defined them, we've been living them. And I don't know for you if it might end up being true, just now that I'm more aware of what is important to me and what I value and what is... Um, what I really need to feel whole in myself, it's given me a new perspective that I can say, oh oh, yeah, wow, okay. This is why I'm doing X, Y, or Z because this is a value for me. You know, the Mm -hmm. capacity to love and to be loved is a really strong value for me. And how does that play out in my life? And when I look around me, I can say, oh, okay. This is why my friends are so important to me. This is why my children, you know, I have the relationship with them that I do. And um, so I, I appreciated your honesty in saying you, uh, <laughs> you weren't sure what your values were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think it's one of the beautiful things about this, the podcast that you've created, because it gives a forum for people to do that. I mean, how many of us in school had someone say, let's talk about your values. Let's clarify that. For that matter, let's show you how to balance a checkbook. Like, do we get any of that stuff in school? No, we don't. And and I I would use those things far more than I would use the Pythagorean theorem. Not that science and math aren't important. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm just, (laughs) you know, math and science are not my gifts. I'm, I'm grateful for Excel. I guess all I can say. Yes. <laughs> and for programs that do the math for me. <laughs> and I would also add that, you know, in graduate school, this is not something they ask you either. Yeah. You are not, while point. they encourage you to look in, inward and to sort out what is your stuff versus the client's stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't recall, and we did go to the same graduate school, although <laughs> some years apart. Yes, um, yes. I don't recall them saying, here are some tools for you to figure out who you are and what your stuff is so that you can separate that from your, from your client. That's so interesting. I, I, I think you are correct. I don't think I ever had a direct discussion or instruction about values definition. And I don't think I did either. And I, it, I was actually out to dinner. It's funny. I was actually out to dinner um, before we had the stay at home order. And I was having a conversation with somebody who had been talking about values with their therapist And, um, she had said to me, I was talking about her podcast. I was like, you should listen to her podcast. That's what we talk about. And she said, I had never in my life even heard the word 
value as it applies to a way of being and a way of living. Mm. And Mm. she's my age, actually, she's a little older than me. And for me, it's just being the age that I am, um, where I think a lot of people are starting to try to figure out whether they're coming out of grad school or they've taken a long time to get their bachelor's. My age is when a lot of people are trying trying to live a life of values and nobody has that discussion. It just doesn't, it doesn't happen. And then we have the issues of a lot of people waking up 40 years after being in a career where they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I not happy? I have everything that I thought I wanted. I put that in air quotes. And I think it's because this conversation doesn't happen and people don't, um, whether they're embarrassed that they don't know or they think that they know or what it is, I think people um, get lost in in this conversation and this topic. I will say for myself that um, I just assumed yeah. that I knew what my values were. Oh, mm. I, I know what's important to me. I, mm-hmm. I'm a social worker. I care about people. I want to help. Mm-hmm. Okay, but where does that come from, right? <laughs> and um, and not just on the okay, what in your background you know, gives you a predilection for this type of thing, you know, the traumas in your past, but also, I mean, it, it doesn't have to come from a, a, a trauma. I mean, it can come from a really good place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you well, know, and my values certainly came from a combination of both. Right. Yeah, and, and from in, you know, correct, my, yes. my faith community, my family, my church all instilled so many amazing, wonderful values in me that that persist to this day and make me the man that I am today. So it is it is both those things. So speaking of your values, other values. Yeah, right. like, I think we only let him get to number two before we were like, no, we didn't even get to number now. two. We were on number one. <laughs> well, I did talk about responsibility we, we and care for others. Love. Service, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We did That's talk true. About <laughs> so um, I don't know if it's a value, but I think for me, creativity and laughter are so important for me. Like I, it is my it is my sense of humor that has kept me alive and the sense of humor of many other people you know it is you know as i I was thrilled in in school to learn that it's actually a healthy coping mechanism mostly (laughs) now i do tend to go deep into the sarcasm which sometimes can be you know problematic i will own it um but uh but for the most part like being able to laugh about things even i mean i remember going to support groups and meetings early on and hearing people tell these tragic stories and, and people laughing at parts of them. And I was just like, how can you laugh about this? And over time, just what healing there is in that laughter, you know, and being able to, to find the humor in some of the crazy things that we've done or places that we've been or survived um, is important. Um, I think you know, I, um, I noticed that, you know, with all the stress that's been going on with, with COVID and uh, po- the political stuff that's going on and the social stuff that's going on, I have to really remind myself to be creative, to do those mm. things that, that, because that, that helps to free me up. And like, sometimes it can be as simple as, I, I mean, I have, <laughs> I have this um, habit of like creating humorous, like they're not memes exactly, but I'll, 
take my face and put it on something, you know, Photoshop, but not that advanced. It's not that deep, but, uh, but just making funny looking pictures of me. Like um, uh, one example is at work. Uh, so when I started at um, the health system that I'm at now, um, I had about six or eight weeks of orientation and training. And then they said, okay, you can send an email out to the team to let them know that you're available to support um, the different care coordinators that are in the primary care setting. So I, of course, could not just send an email saying, hi, I'm available. I had to create an image. So there's this image that um, they used to use of Obama. And it was basically him on on the back of a unicorn riding with rainbows coming out of both of his hands. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Before, I haven't seen was, that one. It was a meme. So I actually took that and I put my face on, on where Obama was. And then at the bottom, I put at your service and I sent it out to the team. So it was me on the back of a unicorn riding with rainbows coming out of my hand saying, I'm at your service. Well, <laughs> this went over, first of all, I, I don't know how much respect they may have had for me, but it went <laughs> over very well. And I can say that to this day, even though I've kind of grown into a, a leadership position <laughs> now, I am constantly given little unicorn stuff from people just thinking of me. <laughs> and so the unicorn is now synonymous with me at work. Um, and that's an example of just a really small way of where I like try to infuse humor and levity and, and creativity into it. Um, and the same thing is true of music. Like I love singing. Um, I don't do enough of it now. Um, but I um, love singing. I love performing. I love recording music and, and writing music. Something I'm trying to get back to doing more of is writing music. Earlier this year, I, um, I, I, I released a new song that's not actually new. I wrote it like five years ago for a friend's wedding. Um, but I, I hadn't been doing it in a long time. And I made a commitment to myself that I was going to actually record this song and release it and, and, and do it. And, and it, was a, it was a challenge because I challenged myself to do a more electronic version of music than I've done. Because I usually do a lot of jazz and, um, or theater music or music treated as jazz. Um, but this one is a little bit more modern. So, so I was, I was really pleased that this, it was before, just before it was February uh, that I did that. And I was really happy to do that. And so I'm hoping that um, once we come out of our uh, quarantine that we, that I'll be able to kind of come back to doing more of that music, but, but that process, I mean, I, I can remember being in the studio and recording that and just the feeling that comes up inside my chest, in my body, like the, the lightness, the excitement, you know, the, the being in the flow, I think some people like to call it, like you're just in your element. And that, that is definitely, uh, definitely a place that I enjoy. So I have a question for you then, taking you back to the first statement you said is, I don't, this might not be a value. And I'm curious to know, why don't you think it's a value? Uh, well, I'm, this is interesting because it, 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 I think there's a part of me that feels like it's frivolous Okay. because I, because it involves me being, uh, the center of attention. Mm-hmm. And this is a challenge from way back, <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a part of me that feels guilty about wanting to be recognized, wanting to be heard, wanting to be appreciated for being creative. Now, even as I, even as those words come out of my mouth, I'm like, that's a basic human need, Jasper. Like everybody needs this, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but that it, but there's still this part of me that feels like I need to like be self-effacing and not want that. Yeah. Well, I think it's, um, 
listening to you talk about it, it's 100% of value of yours. Just the way that you, I mean, our listeners can't see it, but the way that you light up about the importance of creativity and the importance, um, I'm going to remove the word importance because in our first podcast, we talked about the difference between importance and a value is, and I think for you, it is such a core part of who you are and what you want to be in this world. And I think that you shouldn't let your ego tell you that it's not a value or not worthy of being a value because Mm. it's part of who you are and how you live your life and how you want to show up in the world. And, Mm. um, I think it's awesome as somebody who doesn't like, um, I'm not creative in that capacity. Music is not um, a gift of mine. Um, But I think creativity is such a way of expression that people are scared of because it's so authentic and so true. And you can't really hide behind it um, the way you can some other things. And so I just just wanted to challenge you on that to say that I, I... it's definitely a value for you. And that is okay. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. And that's an important reminder for me. (laughs) Yeah, I just think it's so interesting, because as you were saying that, um, first, that it wasn't identified necessarily as a value, and then the minimization of it as Mm -hmm. frivolous. I just, creativity is so different maybe it's not, but it, in my mind, it's so different than any other value. Mm. There is the necessity of vulnerability, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I could be wrong. I'm not sure that, I, you know, I'm just sort of in this mode right now. And so I, I, I will allow people to correct me. Um, <laughs> By the way, usually when a, when a social worker says <laughs> I could be wrong, they're probably right. Let's just yeah, put that prob- I'm, <laughs> I'm ready. Like, I'm, I'm ready, ready to, this. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm going to give it back to her if she's wrong. Um, creativity is such a passion. I don't even know, is it possible to like exceed a value? Is there something that's deeper than a value that creativity would embody? Be, you know, this is where for millennia, there has always been this sort of, oh, writers, artists, musicians have been downplayed, the less important of any of the other activities that we use our brain for. And yet there's no question that without it, people would die. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just think inside, if I didn't have something to read, if I didn't have something to listen to, if I didn't have something to create myself, um, I think I would shrivel up and die. And that's really, it seems very dramatic, but I, but I think that it's true that for people who have that creative gene, it's beyond value. Again, yeah. I could be wrong. I think, no, I think, no, I think you're right. I think you're onto something. Well, I, I do think, and I, I you know, you, I had never really thought of the kind of vulnerability that it takes in order to be creative when you share it with other people. That makes sense to me now. Um, uh, I think also, but you're also right. Like, I have to say, like, you know, being in the midst of the pandemic and, 
you know, not having live theater to go to and see, not having to, you know, a lot of the things that we would normally do to, to enrich our lives with creativity and to partake in that kind of stuff are limited. And I think, um, you know, I have to say, like, uh, I, I was so grateful when Hamilton came out on Disney Plus. I was, you know, I'm grateful that there is season after season of RuPaul's Drag Race to keep me laughing and and like looking at people's creativity, like you know, and and there, you know, and there's uh, all kinds of other things. You know, I've been one of the things that I do a lot of is go on Instagram and to these internet. Um, internet programs and support a lot of smaller artists that are doing work that are, are, are streaming, you know, stuff from their living rooms, you know, and I am, you know, it's been, it's actually been really kind of cool and exciting to see what they do with this, this adversity and turning it into art and, you know, and, and in, in a way like th that platform is even more intimate is even more vulnerable, you know, um, because you don't have the trappings that you would in a giant theater or in a, you know, in another place. And so I think it's, I think it's been, it, it's, it's been a silver lining uh, in, in this time. What I'm hearing Jasper is that um, you put a song out in February and it's time to do a new one or perhaps <laughs> several songs and to get, um, <laughs> To nice get some of that creativity. Yeah, there you go. It absolutely <laughs> is. And now, and this now is that challenge. it's been memorialized on your podcast, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to do something. Yes, exactly. There, that's right. <laughs> I also want to say something too that I think you brought up. Um, and I think it's something, I, I don't think it's a value, but something that I think is so important that's forgotten a lot, especially in these times, is laughter. And mm -hmm. Um, the idea of laughter needing to be a part of somebody's life. I think um, I'm very serious a lot of the time. And um, my partner, my boy, my boyfriend, my husband now, we just got married. So I'm still getting the terms. Thank you. I'm still getting the terms right. Um, it's hilarious. And he's so goofy and he's so funny in our, in our home. And something that's important to us as we become parents is, um, making sure our house is filled with laughter. And I think that in such dark times, um, talking about vulnerability and intimacy and creativity and community and responsibility, all the values that we've talked about in this podcast, laughter is one of those things that bring everybody together. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your political beliefs or anything. And laughter is one of those core things in life that is not um, made important enough, in my opinion. And so I'm glad that you're sarcastic and I'm glad that you're <laughs> comedic and funny and show up like that in the world because I don't. And I shouldn't shit on myself, but I wish that, um, I am taking with me that from this podcast, the most is <laughs> the importance of laughter, um, in times when we aren't able to be as vulnerable by touch as we wish mm. we could be. That's I think a laughter, really great perspective. Yeah. I think laughter brings that, like, I don't, mm -hmm. Just by laughing with you guys tonight, I feel like we're in the same room together mm -hmm. where I feel like there's nothing else that does that, that brings people um, as intimately close in a way that isn't, um, it's, it's vulnerable, but not 
scary vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I am also a big proponent of the dad joke and the bad pun. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's because of my age. I don't know, but I love a dad joke and I love a bad pun. You groan at them. You don't really laugh at them, but they're, they're pretty good. Well, I like home. I, I lo- I'm a proponent of the dad joke because it's something I can then repeat to my children <laughs> exactly. usually and make them groan. And yes. yes. Puns are puns are my, my humor. That's for Potter's sure. All about the dad jokes. My husband's uh, all about the dad jokes. Uh, perfect. He he's getting them. ready for fatherhood. Yeah, of he's course. getting ready for it. <laughs> he's getting ready to embarrass his children. That's what he's looking forward to most. Just embarrassing the kids. Well, Jasper, this has been so wonderful. I just, again, love your perspective. And I remember now why we were such good friends yes. with you were down in Laguna and everything. Fun times. Wish I could have heard those conversations. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I remember I have to, I'm going to walk down memory lane for a second. I, you probably, I don't know if you'll use this for the broadcast or not. But what I find, uh, I, one of my favorite memories was when we were at the the coffee shop I and mean, there's so many of them, but I was doing a show there, a cabaret show. Um, and I did um, a bit that was Ethel Merman sings the hits of the eighties and nineties. <laughs> That's and... who it was. Ethel Merman. <laughs> Merman. And I would literally go to the back of the kitchen and belt out in, in you know, as loud as I could. And, and at my Ethel Merman impersonation singing Sade. I think I did Depeche Mode's Your Own Personal Jesus, like just a couple lines from these songs that she would have never sung that would just sound crazy. Um, and so that I always think about <laughs> those nights at the, at the coffee shop. Oh my God! Well, humor us and do 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 an Ethel Merman impression of. Oh my God! Come on, I'm ready. I'm afraid I'm going to blow your speakers out. Um, No, you're not. I'm ready. um, Let's see. What would be a good song? (laughs) I can try to do Ethel Merman. Your own personal (laughs) Jesus, someone to be your friend, someone who cares. That's really bad, but. I swear I was better. That's that's, so good. That's so awesome. So good. That's how we're ending the podcast. That's it. That's the end. (laughs) Cut it right there. Oh my goodness. Um, To wrap up, what we like to ask each of our guests is one last question. And that is, what's the secret ingredient to your pie? Oh my goodness. Um, what is the secret ingredient to my pie? I didn't think about this one ahead of time. Because <laughs> we, didn't, right. we didn't send you the oh, question. You didn't send me this one. This is why I haven't thought about it. This is uh, okay. Um, I, it's tough. There's a couple things that come to mind. Um, one thing I think is authenticity. Like really challenging myself to be truthful about where I'm at, what's going on for me and who I am uh, in any given situation. And that's, it's not something that comes naturally. (laughs) I've had to work at it over time. Um, But I think, I think that's part of it. I think, um, I think uh, humor is another ingredient. We've kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, I think I could also say that, um, Oh, this sounds cheesy, but empathy. I think empathy is another ingredient in the pie. I think being able to really feel with other people, um, to to um, connect with them in an emotional way, 
um, I think is important too. I think that's part of what humor is about, right? Is, is doing that with one another. So I don't think that's cheesy at all because I don't think that's cheesy because if you, if you look at this whole conversation we've had, that is such a, the ability to connect with others is a value to you. And so Mm -hmm. being able to be empathetic is not only a way to connect with somebody, but to really connect with the inside of them. And so Mm -hmm. I don't think it's cheesy at all that that's, that's that's (laughs) your secret ingredient. I I think that's, Rachel's absolutely right. I I think it's a wonderful secret ingredient because I think, um, you know, given the feels, having the feels um, Mm. is going to make every bit of your pie that much better. The feels. I love it. The feels. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the humor adds a little spice. Yes. A little zing. Gotta have the little zing. I just want to say that I really appreciated this podcast tonight. I'm taking away a lot from tonight in my own uh, development. And I really just want to say thank you, Jasper. And I appreciate you. And I'm grateful for this podcast tonight um, because I was, in my opinion, more of a listener than a podcast host this evening. And I appreciate all the discussions and all the things that you said um, with us tonight and being able to get vulnerable to a place where it made you so human and it made you so, so easy to get and to be along this journey with. And I really mm. appreciate that. And I really just, I'm getting a little teary out. I thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. Oh my gosh. This has been an, an absolute honor for me. I think it's been um, so good to reconnect with you, Dina, and to meet you, Rachel. It's just, it's, it's been a joy. And it's, it's also been very good for me developmentally, <laughs> as I think you've learned, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's been really great to reflect on some of these things, to enjoy some of these memories and to make the memories that we've just made together here. Yeah, I, this has been absolutely wonderful. Um, I love it. I love reconnecting <laughs> that connection piece. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And I, every time we have a guest on every time we do a podcast, I just, I get so much from it and this is really selfish. I, but um, like, I look forward to the podcasts because I grow from it. I mm-hmm. get something from every podcast and mm-hmm. it brings me, it brings me healing. Mm-hmm. in one way or another. And I just, it's like, I can't wait for the next one to come. Thank you well, so thank, much, Jasper. Thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you for creating this space and this podcast. I'm, I'm very excited to, to listen to more of the episodes and to share it with others. Jasper, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been an amazing and insightful evening. I hope everyone enjoyed it. And we'll see you next week on the Wellness Pie Shop. Be safe, wear your masks. Bye-bye.